right. Thank you very much. Praise team. I appreciate that. As we dive in today, gets us all ready and awake, good to go. All right. So we have been the last uh, two weeks going in and doing kind of a, can you name that Christmas tune? Last week we did go through Silent Night, and I'm probably going to have to do a message for Alvin and the Chipmunks for Nick. We'll have to tie that in there. Um, but I'm going to give you a hint today, so we're all going to participate in this. All right, so clear your minds, clear your brains. Let's see if we can name that Christmas tune. So Matthew 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, so... Brent has already went to throw a guess out, but I want to narrow it down for you for a little bit. So you have four to choose from. We three kings, joy to the world. Don't worry, it's going to be everybody. It came upon a midnight clear in a little town of Bethlehem. Let's go back to the verse. Go ahead, Rick. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Rick, could you go back to the choices again? All right. We'll give you the four. I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about it. Okay. If you think it is we three kings, I want you to raise your hand. Put them up high. Okay. If you think it is joy to the world, raise your hand. If you think it is, it came upon a midnight clear, raise your hand. And if you think it was a little town of Bethlehem, raise your hand. Okay, so I'll give you the, the, the overall. We Three Kings was number one in a landslide. It came upon a midnight clear was second. A little town of Bethlehem was third, and nobody voted for joy to the world. So let's tell you about the guy that wrote this song that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. He was a rebel in the church. His dad was the pastor of the church. His dad was the pastor of the church who was also a little bit of a rebel. And this guy decided one day that, you know what, I don't like the music that's being played at the church. You ever heard that before? It's happened in time. And he was like, the, the song choices, all that stuff that we did this week was ridiculous. I didn't like it. So his dad said, well, you know what? If you can do better, then you go ahead and do it. And so he wrote a song. And the next week, the people all came together and they sang that song. And the whole church loved it. This guy went to seminary, ended up becoming a pastor, ended up writing all different kinds of songs. And in the hymnal in front of you, he has written 15 of the songs. He is known as the father of hymn, hymno, hymnology. The reason that it was specific to this time is that it, to this point, when everyone wrote music, they used the Psalms because the Psalms, a lot of those were repeated and sang. And that's how they taught the kids different things about the Bible and about God and things like that. So it was like a word for word from the scriptures. So whenever you would write something, you would write it from the scripture, put it to music and have it in such a way that so you can re remember it. This guy was the first guy to take it so that he would take the Bible and then write from it, almost like we would do a sermon, but and then put it to song. 
And so 15 of the songs in that hymnal, once again, were written by him. And the one for today, you can turn to in just a little bit. Before we get into that, let's take a look at this verse. Matthew. Oh, go back. I'm sorry. Matthew. I apologize, Rick. That's my bad. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. So the first part of this is that, and this is very specific. Remember that Matthew is a Jew and he is writing to the Jews. He was a tax collector, so he was worse than all the sinners. And when he is writing, he's writing to his Jewish audience. So he's sharing with them that this is the Bethlehem, it's in Judea. It's very important because there's multiple Bethlehem villages. There's some to the north of Jerusalem. There's some to the west of Jerusalem. This one was south of Jerusalem, and it was very specific. So when he's sharing with this with them, he's like this map dot right here. This is the exact Bethlehem. And it's even from the Old Testament, which we'll share it with you in just a little bit. At the time of King Herod. Now, most people believe that King Herod, since he was the king of the, or he was the king at this time, or what they saw, what he saw as the king in Jerusalem, was a Jew. He was part of the Jewish chosen people. He was not. He was assigned by the Roman Empire to oversee Jerusalem and the entire area, which would be at this time, Judea, Israel, that kind of area. He was assigned by them. Now, King Herod had a major issue. Uh, people have over time have dubbed it as little man's. He was a small guy, but he was very powerful and he was very paranoid. He had his wife killed. He had brothers killed. He had three of his sons killed. He had his brother-in-law killed. He had an uncle killed. He had all these different people killed because anytime he felt that somebody was going to threaten his power, he would have them murdered including and especially within his family. If he thought for some reason they were going to turn on him, he would have him killed before anything could take place. So this guy is super, super paranoid, but he wants everybody to look at him that, hey, I am the most powerful person in this world. Even though I was assigned by the Roman Empire, in your world, I am the most powerful person. He had a major issue when it came to anyone even threatening his role or, and especially with his title. So King Herod, uh, it said, Bethlehem of Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked. Now, real quick here, since most of you guys are with the we three kings thing. How many of you have all been taught that there were three kings of Orient that came to see Jesus as a baby? Like as an infant, like toddler in the manger. Okay, first thing is, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that there were three kings. They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, so everyone's figuring that they carried one of each. But there could have been two. There could have been 20. We don't really know. There's never any specific. And there was no Orient at the time. We call it the Orient, so that, that way they could kind of go back to that time. So the Orient is nowhere in the Bible. So they did come bearing gifts. They did understand what was going on. And they were wise men because they were astrologers. So for this entire time, the chosen people have been looking for the Messiah. God has been silent for 400 years. The ones from the east were very intelligent, very wise. They studied everything, and they understood that eventually there was going to be a sign that would point to the king of the Jews who would come. And they knew that that king of the Jews would be the savior of the world. Now think about this for a second. The very people within Jerusalem, the chosen people, they didn't figure this out. They were not able to see this. And yet, 
these wise men, these magi from the east understood that. And so it leads to the last part. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? So when they show up, the magi show up, they come to King Herod because that is where they should come to. They come to Jerusalem because, once again, he's born the king of the Jews. Jerusalem is the capital of this entire area, so they know where to go to. What they don't know and what they don't understand is that King Herod is a nut job, and King Herod is power hungry, and King Herod doesn't care about anybody else but himself, and if you're going to say king of the Jews, you better be talking about him. But notice something. This king of the Jews wasn't placed in there by the Roman Empire. This king of the Jews wasn't an adult. He didn't come in with an army. He wasn't riding on the back of an elephant. He didn't have, you know, tanks and, and rocket launchers and all those other kind of things that, that, you know, nowadays we'd expect. But at this time, there's got to be some kind of warring uh, army that has to come with him because he's going to come in and take over. Instead, he was born into this role that they gave him. That title that they had given him. And it's the very same title that when Jesus dies on the cross, that Pilate puts above him on the cross. He was born into it, and he died with it. But it's not a title that he ever wanted to carry and ever chose to carry. But that's how he was dubbed. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Okay, now we've gone through all this. So we've gone through all this. So who still wants to stick with we three kings? Okay. Who wants to still stick with, I forgot what the other ones were. Uh, Rick, go, ahead, go back for a second. Who wants to stick with, number two, is it came upon him midnight clear. All right, you want to stick with it? Who wants to stick with a little town of Bethlehem? All right, does anybody even care? Enjoy the world. Nobody even guessed it. So, okay. Grab your hymnal. Pull out your hymnal. And turn to number 125. Because some people changed their minds because they felt bad for joy to the world. And the winner is... Some people put their hymnals back. They're upset. Grab it out real quick. I want you to look at this real quick. Because hymnals aren't just about the worship music. If you look at the top, there is a verse in there from Micah. And it talks about Bethlehem Ephradah. That is the exact village... That Jesus was born in. That Bethlehem, which is south of Jerusalem. That was written by Micah over 400 years before Jesus was born into this role of the king of the Jews. And so this song, Joy to the World, was written from a psalm. Because remember, at this time they didn't have, when they're writing through this, they didn't use the New Testament when it came to music. Yet when it was written was in the 1600s, 1700s, in that time frame. And it was written by Isaac Watts, who once again has 15 songs in that very hymnal that you're looking at. Isaac Watts, once again, he was a rebel. He did things that he wasn't supposed to do. He made his dad crazy and he made the church crazy. Who knows, he may have been the first one with the electric guitar. That's not true. So, just so you know, you can look that up as the one electric was, you know, discovered and all that kind of stuff. But, this guy started what we know now, which has led to all the Christian music that we have, they take a portion of the Bible or a story within the Bible and they write around it. And you'll hear different terms from it and you'll be like, oh my goodness, that takes me to Isaiah. Oh, that takes me to James. Oh, that takes me to the birth of Jesus. That takes me here. That takes me there. And that was the idea behind what Isaac had written. Is that on this night, at this time, 
born into his role, Jesus was born and it was bringing joy to the world. So how is it then that we can bring joy into our world? Remember this too as we go through with joy. The way to look at joy is this, especially when it comes to our Christian walk. Jesus, others, you. Jesus first, others second, and then you. And too often within our society, we have it backward where it's ourselves, others, Jesus, which is ooge. Ooge, right? So we want to focus on joy and not ooge. So if you're an ooger, stop it, especially if you're a believer. If you're a believer, we need to not only live this joy, but show it to others, especially during this time of the year. So joy to the world. You're a part of the world. So this is joy to you. And here we go. Let us begin by preparing him room. So in joy to the world, it starts off with, it says, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. We can't receive the king unless we have room. And the first thing that took place with Jesus when he goes to, uh, to, when he goes to the first time of being born is what? There's no room for him. There's no room at the end. There's not enough room to put you there. So we're going to put you on the back burner. We're going to put you in the stable. We're going to put you in the manger. And too many times, especially during this Christmas season, we get so caught up in all the hustle and bustle that we don't prepare room for him. And the flip side of that is sometimes we do prepare room for him, but we only prepare room for him during the Christmas season and possibly during the Easter season. Uh, we, uh, Deanna and I were talking and we, we've, we have these, you know, you have these different stages and you go through with your kids. And now uh, when I first got here to the church, Becca was in kindergarten and now she's in college. She's a freshman in college. And so the kids are going to be coming back. Jake's working in Kansas City. Nathan's at school uh, at Xavier. And so they're going to be coming back. So part of what we have to do now is to prepare so that they have a place to sleep. So when you're preparing, you have to find a room or find a place that they will be able to lie their heads down right through that Christmas break. But we're only preparing it for a little while because Jake, after a week or so, they'll, he'll go with his uh, girlfriend to Indianapolis where her family is from. And so we'll only have to worry about him for a week. With Nathan, he'll be there for two or three weeks over the Christmas break, and then he'll head back to school. And then the house will be right back to where it was. But to get ready, you have to prepare that room. Too often, though, when it comes to our Christian walk, what ends up happening is much like houses are today. You have... Uh, main bedroom, you'll have rooms for the kids. When the kids move out, one of those rooms turns into a guest room, and that guest room tends to just sit there. And the bed's made, everything's in there, it's fine. You go in and check on it every once in a while to make sure that, you know, I don't know, maybe it's aired out or needs dusted or whatever it might be when you go in to do that. But many times it just sits there and does nothing. For us, a lot of times that is a good analogy of our lives is that we have this room for Jesus, but it's more like, well, he's in there in the guest room, and it's when I need it that I can go and turn to it, that I can go and use it. And sadly, because of that, we don't have the opportunity, and we don't take the opportunity to share the very joy that God has promised us, the very joy that God has brought us. See, the Magi looked, and they saw a sign. And when that sign came, it brought them joy. And they knew that joy wasn't just for the chosen people. That joy was for every one of them. They were not chosen Jews, the Magi. They were not what people saw as just God's people because God's message was for everyone. But the first thing that we need to do if we're going to bring joy to this world and you're going to bring joy to your world is you have to prepare room for him. That leads us to the second part. 
Let's make sure we repeat that sounding joy. So it says, joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let all their songs employ. While fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. Notice it didn't say, while Jews and Gentiles, while men and women, while kids and adults, while boys and girls. It says, while fields and floods, rocks, hills, and plains repeat the sounding joy. See, when Jesus was coming in on his triumphal journey, and Isaac knew this, they were so loud as they were coming in, Hosanna, and saying all the different things that they were saying, that literally the Pharisees turned to them and said, hey, keep it down. You guys are being too loud. You know, we have a dedication, a ceremony, there are things that are coming up, and you guys, this is not a time for us to be making noise. We need to, you know, to be calm and, and understand that this is the next feast, and these are the things that we're preparing for, you know, before God. So you guys need to keep it quiet. And Jesus turned to them, and he said, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Which if that happened, everyone would freak out, right? Isaac knew this, though, is that when we have that joy in our life, when we start by making room for God, we can't help but want to repeat that joy. But the only way to do that is to start by making room and then getting to the point where we can repeat that. Every time that I get into Deanna's car, she has the same, God bless you, she has the same station on every time. I was just thinking about this as I was going through this. She has the fish on every time we get in. If you get into my car, you know what it is? Sports radio. So am I filling myself up with talk of Ohio State and talk of the Indians and the Cavs and the Browns and all that kind of stuff that you hear about? Is, is that what I really want to be filling myself up with? Because I'm not going to repeat that joy. And yet people have those conversations all day long. Oh, C.J. Stroud didn't win the Heisman Trophy. That guy from USC won it. Wait, he didn't even finish second. We'll talk about it. Oh, the college football playoff is coming up. Oh, what about the playoffs? What's going on with the quarterback up here? What's going on with free agency? What's going on with the Cavs? Are they good? We'll talk about all those other kind of things, and we'll repeat it and repeat it and have conversations about it, and we'll hear people discuss it everywhere. But if we're going to show joy during the Christmas season and joy throughout our lives, we have to fill ourselves with the things that will bring us joy. And the things that, quite frankly, at the end of the day, if the fields and floods and rocks and hills and plains are going to shout out about it, it is that much joy. Do you know why it should be the most joyful thing in your life? Because it brings us life. And not just in this life, eternal life. That's how big the joy to the world and joy for us should be. So it means we get ourselves to where we're listening to sermons or listening to messages. We're listening to um, Christian songs. We are talking about it, having a discussion about it. We're in time of prayer. We're in time of devotion. We have to fill ourselves if we're going to repeat those great things that are happening within our lives. When we count all the different blessings that we have that God has blessed us during this Christmas season. And remember, don't turn it into a guest room. Don't keep it as a guest room. Don't do it just during the holidays that we've made room for the entire year by doing it day by day and then repeating that sounding joy. That leads us to number three. Let's choose this instead of that. This is verse three of Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrow grow. And this is not a verse, by the way, that people sing when it comes to Joy of the World. I, I heard uh, Brenda say when she was talking today, she was like, it says, like sing verse one and three. I didn't know there were like instructions on the hymns and that, but you know, they'll to kind of shorten it, has four or five verses, whatever, or those may be the most popular verses. This is the least popular of all the verses of Joy to the World. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. See, so many times sin and sorrow 
follow one another. And we focus upon all those thorns. And yet the most beautiful part of the rose is the petals. It's the part that blooms. It's the part that's closest to God. It's the part that opens up to God. This world is so easy to rest in the sin and in the sorrow. It's so easy to take the things that we do wrong and think, I can't really share my joy with others because they know my past. They know my struggles. They know what's going on right now. The economy is beating us up. I'm making poor financial decisions. I'm not very good relationally. Oh my goodness, I'm going to date my 10th guy. I'm going to marry my 10th or my fifth gal. I'm going, we, we pick it, whatever it might be. Wherever it is that we miss the mark with God and then the sorrow follows us. And instead of sharing joy with others, we hold the sin and sorrow to ourselves. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. So wherever that sin and sorrow goes to, which is everywhere, God says, hey, 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 listen, joy to the world. You can have this joy and you can live this joy every single day. When you choose, how? You start by preparing room and allowing that room. And then you can't help but want to repeat it. But then you have a choice. You can choose this. The sin and the sorrow that follows it, or you can choose that, which is God's joy in your life and in my life. And that leads us to the last part, verse four of joy to the world. Let's seek to be living proof. Verse four says, he rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Now, prove and love don't rhyme, right? But they spell the same. I'm not going to hold against Isaac White Watts because he's dead. But he's in heaven, right? He was a writer, and this is what he wrote. And when you write it out, it looks like it's going to rhyme, but obviously it doesn't. It, maybe this did within the old English style. Maybe they, you know, say different, you know, how like in Canada and stuff like that, they say process and progress and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, what are they even talking about? You know, maybe they say it a little bit differently so that when he sang it, it rhymes. I don't know. I just know that the message behind this is this. He rules the world with truth and grace. I think one of the struggles that people have nowadays with church is this, is that there is no absolute truth. They struggle with it because absolute truth is needed within our walk, and yet we don't turn to it. We don't rest in it. We add to the truth and think, well, if we add to it, then maybe that just makes it truth, an absolute truth. But it's a little bit different when it comes to what the Bible shares. Look at this verse. For the law was given through Moses. So the first five books of the Bible, known as the Pentateuch, those are the first, the law is in there, the Ten Commandments, not just the Ten Commandments, but 600 plus commandments. Who can figure them all out? Not sure. So he narrowed them down to 10. They could all fall underneath it. And yet when Jesus came, he said, love others as I have loved you. Make disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I'll be with you until the end of the day. So he narrows it down to two. So some 630 down to 10, down to two. But the law still was given to Moses because they had to figure out how to live. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And see, that is part of the joy that we should be living. So that when the Magi, the wise men, they showed up, this king that was born to them was born into this. They came because they knew that there would be peace and joy because of it. And yet, here's the amazing thing. If you look at the gifts that the kings brought, if you look at the gifts that the magi brought, the wise men brought, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, one of those in there is not to celebrate birth, but instead to cover death. 
they knew enough to know that this Messiah was born into this role, was going to die in this role, but was going to bring eternal life through this role. And because of it, they had complete joy because God had finally completed his promise to everyone, to you and to me. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Grace and truth comes through Jesus. And that grace is extended so much that you and I can be saved through our faith. Not by what we do, not by how good we are, not by, not by merit, not by any of those things, not by doing just enough to barely, barely get by, not to have just enough credit, but through grace and truth. This is a gift of God. It's not of our own. It's not of the works that we do, even though those works should show that we're something different. Why should it show that we're something different? Because this world needs it. This world needs that joy. This world needs to know that it's possible to have that joy. Isaac Watts knew this hundreds and hundreds of years ago, over 300 years ago. And he started writing in such a way that we still use that when we write songs to this day. But what does this look like in our lives? The praise team is going to come up and right where you sit. I just want you to think about this for a little bit. I want you to close your eyes and just look within and just rest for a moment. Our role is to live in such a way to have joy to this world, but live the joy within this world, knowing that we'll live in joy in, for eternity. That starts by preparing room. We have to prepare room for Jesus to reside, for Jesus to spend time, for Jesus to live. When we choose to do that, we put the things in our lives that we, we can repeat that joy. Jesus, others, you. So we can share that with others and we can live that before others. It's at that point that we choose our choice, this over that. If you're stuck in the sin and sorrow, you can never give it to God to heal that. If you focus on all the thorns, you'll never see the roses. If all you're ever doing is noticing the weeds, you can never see the growth that is taking place around you. And that is why when we choose to become the living proof that we can show the wonders of his love. And that's how we live joy in this world. And that's how we share joy to this world by us living joy in our world. Heavenly Fathers, we come to you, God, at this time. Lord, I thank you for these, these hymns that we found in the hymnal during this Christmas season. Lord, I think sometimes this book just sits here and it, and it gathers dust, but it's amazing what you open up, what we can learn and what we can find. God, Isaac Watts wrote this over 300 years ago and he wrote it because he didn't like the music in the church. And he went to his pastor and his pastor said, then go make a difference. Of course, it happened to be his dad. It seems like it'd be easier that way, but I don't know that it would be. But he made a change. And now because of that, 15 of the songs that are within this hymnal, people still sing to this day. God, this is the, the time of year that we celebrate many of those hymns as we share those. Today, we've opened it up to sing two of them. And God, will look at, at two more as we head into the Christmas season coming up. But God, for right now, would you help us to understand that, Lord, we can live your joy and we can expect your joy 
and we can't be that joy in this dark world. Help us to make room for you every moment of every day. Help us to repeat that when we hear an encouraging message or we hear an encouraging word or we just stop to take time to pray. And Lord, as we reach out to others, help us to choose life and love and peace and hope over all the negativity and darkness that seems to take place. And God, at the end of the day, it still comes back to that joy that we get to choose to live before you. Jesus, others, and then ourselves. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time together. Lord, help us to stand now and to lift our voices to you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Would you all please rise? Each week we give a time of invitation. Describe your stands. If you close your eyes, bow your heads, please. If you've never taken that step of faith, this is the season that we celebrate the gift that God gave to you and to me. The gift that God gave to share joy in this world. He loved us so much that he gave everything. 100%. He gave his one and only son. If you've never stopped long enough to ask him into your heart, it's a step of faith we take where we admit that, God, we need you. And God, we want to accept that gift that you gave us through your son, Jesus. And today we want to walk with you by faith. And so we stop long enough to pray and ask you into our heart as our passionate, our powerful, and our personal Savior. If that's a step that you've never taken, it's a step that you want to take, would you just lift your hand up to God today? And for the rest of us, let's choose joy. Let's live joy. Let's be joy. Let's start by making room for Jesus in our lives. Let's go all the way through to where we're repeating it and we're hearing it repeatedly. And then let's go out and share that with others. Let's be that living proof. Lord, we love you. It's in rain that we pray. Amen. Alrighty. I was supposed to start with this and I'm ending with it. So the people that do the announcements, Nick and Brenda, one of the things that drives them crazy, and I don't blame them, it used to drive me crazy too, but sometimes you can't help it. We have an announcement that we needed to make and then we're like, oh. You know, we forgot to give it to him. So I didn't want to throw this on Nick this morning and or if it was going to be Brenda on her. So here's the announcement so that everyone understands. Christmas Eve service at 6 p.m. Christmas Day service at 10 a.m. Our full family. There's going to be no child care. So bring your kids in here. Trust me, kids are lifeblood. It's okay if they're a little crazy and having a little bit of fun. I mean, they get that. It's tough for them to sit that long. But we'll keep them upbeat by, you know, singing Christmas tunes. So that should help out because we should be teaching them, right? So actually when you're teaching them, you're teaching them hymns. So that's a good job on your side. So Christmas Eve, Christmas day, Christmas Eve is at 6 PM Christmas. I'm sorry. Christmas Eve is at 6 PM Christmas day, normal 10 AM. As Nick had said, all families, no kids in the back. If you go to the back and go, where is everyone coming to the sanctuary? Cause that's where we're going to be. Also January 1st is a Sunday. We are taking that day off. So nobody's going to be at church on January 1st. Everyone got it? Now, if you show up, we're going to have mops and brooms and a to-do list. So we're going to leave the doors open. Just pick something and clean it. Do it with joy in your heart. Sing the whole time repeatedly. If anyone else shows up, have them join in. We got it? Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, family services. No children. We're not watching any of the kids in the back. January 1st, everyone's taken off, and we'll see you then on January 8th. Got it? Hey, don't wait until January or December 23rd to invite someone. Silent Night, part two. We want everyone coming here singing. We're going to have the candles. We're going to make sure we don't spill wax everywhere on the pews. But that's Christmas Eve service, all right? Get on out of here. Have a great day. Thank you.